This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. I want to talk about one thing. I want to talk about longing for encounter. It's loosely under our grace series uh, in the sense of it's the grace of God that he comes to us. And we've been talking about grace. And what we're doing after Christmas is we've been talking about, we're talking about those kind of means of grace, the way we access uh, grace. And we talked about community and reading the Bible. uh, And we talked last week about God giving us faith to press in with him and stretching himself out on us. Uh, and this week I wanted to talk about encountering God. And in one sense, it's not, if you look in a book of spiritual disciplines uh, or kind of spiritual practices, it, it isn't in there, but actually worshipping God, I think, is, is, is a spiritual discipline in that sense. It's something that you do, where, and when you do that, God pours out his goodness and grace on you. So uh, I kind of access in this by thinking about longing. So uh, authoress, George Eliot... Uh, obviously, long discussion you can have about why she changed the name from, from Mary Evans to George Eliot because of the nature of society. She didn't think she'd be heard if she was a, a woman. But she said this. She said, It seems to me we can never give up longing and wishing while we're still alive. There are certain things we feel to be beautiful and good, and we must hunger for them. And there's something inside of us that longs. There's something inside of us that says it should be different. I I spoke about this last week, that we're we're people of hope. We're future-orientated people. Uh, And there's there's something that we long for, those those essential things. And then a book that I've not read, but a a, a quote that that kind of I found when I was looking at George Eliot, an American author, a lady called Carson McCullers, in her book, The Heart of a Lonely Hunter, writes this. We are homesick with longing, most for the homes we've never known. In other words, there's a sense where we're homesick, we're longing for a home, but but actually we're we're longing for a home that we've never been to. We're longing for a home of the home that could be, the home to place to dwell that could be, uh, a place where we haven't been, but yet we really want to be there. Uh, And and so this idea of longing, I don't know if it resonates with you, and, and and I, I guess because I get to do this, I get to work out my longings <laughs> by preaching to you. And I hope that what I'm longing for uh, is what you're longing for. Longing, uh, the dictionary describes lo- young, lo- longing as a yearning desire. Yearning, pining, craving, aching, burning, hunger, thirst, urge, need, desire, eagerness, zeal. There's a sense of like, God... I want this, I want this, I'm longing for this. And it's funny that that it sometimes feels like if you say, um, uh, we kind of long for all kind of things. We long for other things, we long for other things. But yet when we're in this setting, it feels like we clear everything away and say, actually we're longing for God. 
Whereas actually when I'm outside, I must be honest with you, and you're probably the same, we find ourselves longing for other things. You know, so I long for leads to get promoted. You know, how shallow am I? You know, I was happy on Saturday, they won on Friday. You know, I, and I think, goodness me, but, but, but once you come in, in this place, when there's a community of worshippers together, actually it focuses your longing. You know, when you're reading, I hope you're reading Mark together with us, five by five by five. As you're reading Mark, I'm loving that. In fact, that there's nearly 70 of us reading it, you know, out of 120 of us. About 70 of us, I love that. And, and there's a kind of sense where you, you're reading about Jesus and you think, I long for you to be around and do your stuff, Jesus. And it feels like, is that okay to say, I'm longing? Because you really, in one sense, you know, you can, you can say, well, actually, we've arrived. In one sense, we have arrived. God's presence is here. We have arrived. But, but there's longing. And, and, and it, sometimes it's helpful to read kind of church leaders who've got big churches and say, I'm longing. So there's a, a guy, I don't know if he's still leading the church. It's a church in Oxford uh, called St. Aldets. And Charlie Cleverly, um, who wrote his book, his book's called Epiphanies, which means kind of encounters or revelations of the ordinary, encounters that change life, says this. It, says, it starts on the very first page of his book, after a dedication to a friend of mine who died in a, a cycling accident who used to work for him. He writes this, I'm writing because my heart is weary. This is just after she died. But he says, I'd like to think I'm weary with well-doing, but maybe it's weary with religion. My heart's weary with religion. Quotes the Bible, he says, my soul is parched in a dry land where I don't find much water. And as I journey on, I find many who long for the peace of Jesus that passes all understanding. We long for the rest of quiet contemplation of Christ. We don't easily find it in the noise of our activity. I believe I urgently need to move from activism, business, to meditation, and then to encounter which flows from that stream of living water life. I love this. It says, I believe that without seeing Jesus, I'm a clanging gong or just noise. Without epiphany, without an encounter with divine, I'm only partly alive. I tread into a misty landscape, but I can't avoid it. Without epiphany, I feel I may miss the way. I think we've stopped there, can't we? It's just like, oh, Charlie, you just, in so many ways, you know, got the perfect environment, the perfect church, the perfect ministry, the perfect marriage, but he's longing. And I don't think Charlie's longing because actually following Jesus creates emptiness. I think that you can chase the world's things, and that does create emptiness. You can chase, I was at a time when I was away from God, chased all kind of things, and actually feel, trying to fill myself, I still felt empty. But I think sometimes, but, but when, you, when you chase after Jesus, it's not because you feel empty, because he doesn't fill you, because he doesn't satisfy you, but because there's something about the grace of God that once you've tasted, you want more. Once you've experienced, you want more. Once you know, you want more. That's what kind of drives us on. So, you know, how many years have I been reading Mark's Gospel, but yet I really read it and say, Jesus, I love you. I text my guys in my group and say, I love Jesus. I love what he's like. I love the gospel because there's something about him, yes, that makes you want more. 
And Charlie Cleverly's longing is an ancient longing. You can find it all the way through the Bible. And I landed on Psalm 27, which is a, a psalm that's familiar because I read it to you a lot and you probably have read it. And we're going to springboard out of that. Psalm 27, David writes, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my fortress of my life. Even if an army besiege me, who shall I be afraid? One thing I ask of the Lord, I love these verses, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, man, there's plenty of trouble in the world, he will keep me safe in his, say it for me, dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacles, same word, dwelling, and he will set me on a high rock. Then my head will be lifted up above my foes that surround me. At his tabernacle I will sacrifice with shouts of praise. I will sing and make music to the Lord. My heart has heard the voice of the Lord say, call and I will answer. And then he responds with his heart. My heart says, seek his face. Your, Lord, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me and do not turn your servant away in righteous anger, for you have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Saviour, though my father and mother forsake me. And we see that in society. The Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path. And he says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. Father, we say we want David's words to be our words this morning. Lord, we say they are our words. Lord, we say we long for you. We long for you. This one thing we ask. One thing we seek, that we may dwell in your house forever, that we may worship you in your temple. Lord, we say that is the thing we look for. That's the thing that we feel at the start of this year, that Lord, would you do that one thing for us? And I don't know if, like I say, that, that you know, if you, if you say, what's the one thing? You know, Cheltenham is, what's the one thing? What's the one thing that people ask? What's the one thing they seek? My kids do well in education. I enjoy health or prosperity or I find my lifelong partner. Then I'll be happy. Or if I'm successful in my career, that's the one thing. If I've got a great house or if I'm fulfilled or happy, then I'll feel it. Then I'll feel that one thing's arrived. Uh, uh, but what's the true answer to what your one thing is? The answer is that look at your diary. Look at my diary. Look at the, the time. Look where my time and money goes. What, if you were saying, well, what is your, really your one thing? Look at your bank statements. Look at who your friends are. Look at your internet search history. Look at what you like on social media. Look at your photo albums. Look at your TV guide and your book sets. If that, you, you can often think, you can say, I want the Lord, but actually everything else can say, you want some other thing. And David does lose his way at times, but he always comes back, if you read his Psalms, and we could have quoted so many, he always comes back to this one thing, this one thing, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to seek him in his temple. Here's the warrior David, he's not a wimp, he's a, a battle fighter, but he just says like Charlie Cleverly, I just want peace. I want to be in God's house 
and look at Jesus and say, there's just no one like him. Isn't he beautiful? I want to be with him. That's where I want to be. In all my restlessness, that's where I want to be. David's got this insatiable longing for God. He wants to be near him. As Charlie cleverly said, without encounter with the divine, I'm only partly alive. I tread into a misty landscape, but I can't avoid it. Without epiphany, I feel I may miss the way. That's the cry of a Christian, isn't it? It's a cry of a Christian. But actually, I, I, I love the way that God calls us in in this psalm. It, it, David says this, My heart has heard... Uh, some tr- translations translate it differently. He says, My heart has heard of the voice of the Lord saying, Call, and I will answer. If you listen, you can hear God saying, Call, and I will answer. David's heart responds unequivocally and passionately. My heart says, seek his face. Your, Lord, your face, Lord, I will seek. David is longing and yearning and pining and craving and aching and hungry and thirsty and desperately in need for the face of God. And I don't know where you are, but that's where I am. I feel, God, I'm there. I feel like we can do this church and, you know, okay, so we've got a decent number and we've, we've managed to get some money and we've got a staff and we've got a great venue. But actually, the bottom line is, and I, and I love you people and I'm not at all having a go at you, it's more like my angst, but I think it's not enough. It's not enough. Yes, we could be bigger and we could hide it. You know, sometimes you, if you think, if you fill the place and it'd be like a Coldplay concert, you can feel like you encounter God. But actually, whether it's large or small, there's something that says, I want God to, as we were saying last week, to stretch out on me, to breathe life into me. God is calling all in seekers who pursue God with all their hearts. But it's not a fruitless search. When, when, when David said, I'm going to search for the Lord, it's not like God's hiding that he don't want to be found. He wants to be found. Actually, we'll find later on as I go through, it's us that's hiding. Jeremiah 29, in that verse that people like the first bit, it says, you know, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to uh, prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. Why does God want to do that? So that I may have holidays in the Mediterranean and drive a nice car and have comfort no, he doesn't do that. He does it for this, which says, he says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and say it with me. I will answer you. You will seek and f- me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the journey we're on. This is the journey we're on. We're saying, God, I want to seek you. But the thing is, where? And over these next two weeks, I want to kind of help us, not because I found, but because I'm a seeker with you. I, I haven't necessarily landed and found it, but I'm a seeker with you. Next week, I want to talk about finding God outside of the church, as it were, outside the gathered community. And when Naomi was, uh, talk, when I was talking to Naomi, she was saying, yeah, but you can find God everywhere, and you can encounter God everywhere, and you, know, you can walk the hills, and you can be around and find God everywhere, and that's true. So just... Park that, okay? Because I'm not talking about this week. I'm talking about finding God here. Finding God here. And, and then the, and there's, there's hints in the passage. Where does David say he's going to seek these life-giving encounters with God? David uses these three phrases. He says, I want uh, to dwell in the house of the Lord. 
is a house where God dwells. It's a home. Sidebar, Jesus says, doesn't he? He says, abide with me. Abide in the vine. Make your home with me. That's our dwelling. It's like there's a home that we've been looking for. Uh, uh, as we quoted earlier, there's a home we're looking for, the home we desire, and it's home with him. To gaze on his beauty, the beauty of his, his character, the beauty of his gospel, to seek him in his temple and at his tabernacle, that just means dwelling, I will sacrifice with shouts of praise and I will sing and make music to the Lord. Now the reality is, uh, if, if we're saying, do we have to go to the temple, that's a picture of where, does anyone know? Jerusalem, it's what's left of the temple in Jerusalem. There are three goes at temples, but this is what's left of the third temple. It's just a wall. And in one sense, the Jews take this literally. If you're going to seek God, you go to the wall. You go to the temple. You go to the building. You go to the bricks and mortar. That's where you seek God. But actually, if you read the story of the Bible, this temple story is an unfolding story of God's presence. The temple is a symbol of God's dwelling place on earth. And we want, I just want to trace the big story. I say quickly, but actually we just, it's just a chance for me to land on some great passages that are going to say, I'm hungry for God. So where does the story start? The story of God's presence starts in the garden. It starts in Eden. It starts where God and man, God and humanity dwell together. It says they walked with God in the cool of the day. They walked together. And the plan was that, that God... God would multiply humanity, that humanity would be a people of God's presence, that as they multiplied and filled the earth, Eden would be expanded to fill the whole earth. Obviously, that's not what's happened, because the tragedy is that we rejected God. Humanity rejected God and said, I don't want anything to do with you. It's almost like they've got the tree of life, they've got Christ in the middle of the garden, but they go for something else. And it's a recurring theme in humanity that we, whether this one thing that we're looking for, but we're twisted and tempted away to something else. And it doesn't deliver what's promised. They find themselves hiding from God. They find his presence as something they don't want. So it says, uh, on the slide it says, and God was walking in the cool of the day, it says, after they said, the man and wife hear the sound of God, as he's walking in the garden. They presumably had done that before. Jesus, God wants to walk with them. Jesus wants to walk with them, but they hid from God. And ultimately, what they find themselves is exiled. They find themselves put outside the garden. And, 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 and outside the garden, there's a kind of a, a, a flaming sword that says, you're not coming in here. Uh, again, we were doing dinner with, uh, with, with people last night, and they said they like to go with their, their youngster, Reuben, and do that thing with a big stick. But, you know, that sense from Lord of the Rings, thou shalt not pass, is that sense where actually an angel is present at the door of, of the presence of God and says, you're not coming in. You can't come in. And so they find themselves, like Charlie cleverly describes, they find themselves in this parched and barren and empty wasteland. They go from the garden of everything and suddenly they're, they're in a dusty place and they've got to just work hard and they just must think, what have I done? But they can't go back. The flaming sword, the sword says, you, it's the, only, only your death's going to let you in here. There's going to be a death for you to get back in here. Isaiah 59 puts it like this. It says, your wrongdoings, or your iniquities, old-fashioned word, have separated you from your God. 
Your sins have hidden his face from you, so he will not hear you. That's, our, that's where our condition is now. Without Jesus, without the story unfolding, that's where we are. We're outside, longing. I've quoted this many times, but I love it. Uh, Augustine says this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. They're exiled from the garden, restless wanderers, knowing that we're made for his presence, but outside. Generations later, God meets a shepherd called Moses on a mountaintop, and there's a bush that's burning, and God says, you can't come close, take off your sandals. There's a distance. God tells him, he says, now go and bring these people. I'm going to be with you to bring these people out of captivity because I want you to bring them to me to worship me and to be with me. So we know the story of Exodus, we did it some year, uh, uh, last year, but, but that Moses, by might, God's mighty outstretched arm and mighty hand, brings them back to that same mountain. He brings them back to the mountain. And Moses is on the mountain, and guess what? At the bottom of the mountain, there's fire. They can't come in. The people still are outside. And while they're outside, what do they do? Remember the story? What do they do while they're outside? They build a golden calf. When God's presence isn't there, we drift into unbelief and idolatry. We drift into giving ourselves to other things so quickly, so easily. And, and God says, okay, I'll go with you, Moses. I'll start, with, I'll start afresh with you. And, we, and, and I love this passage. Exodus 33. Let's read it with me. Then Moses said to the Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples on the face of the earth? What marks us out? It's with people of his presence. That's Moses expressing what David would express centuries later. One thing I ask of the Lord this is what I seek. And it's still our longing, isn't it? It's still our longing. God, we want you with us. If you want you with us. I remember when we tried to get this venue, we were struggling for a venue, we were stuck in a school, the school was kicking us out, we are trying to get this venue, and I had a phone call saying, we kind of agreed another venue actually across the road, we'd agreed a venue across the road, uh, and the guy in charge of the CLC phoned me up and said, you can't have the venue. And we had like a week to go to be a homeless church and I literally lay on the floor and I said God if you're not doing this with me I'm done I really am done because there's no fun if you're not doing it with us and I did cry and I washed my face and remembered that passage where I don't know where it is in the Bible it says where there's no cattle in the store where there's no fruit on the vine yet I will praise you so I thought well out we go with the dog and I put some music on and thought, I'm going to praise God. I feel done, but I'm going to praise him in his sanctuary. I'm going to praise him. It was amazing. I came back and literally put, dried the dog off and made a cup of tea. Phone rings again. Well, we can't give you the small hall across the way, but would you like the Parabola Art Centre? <laughs> I said, we can't afford it. They said, no, it's supposed to be a thousand quid, but we'll give you it for 300. 
I thought, God's with us. God's with us. But that story's too old, isn't it? Five years old. I want more stories where God is with us. But God keeps his promise to Moses and, um, and tells Moses to build this place of encounter, a tent called the tabernacle. Tabernacle literally means dwelling place. And the tent, interestingly, if you read it, is decorated with images of Eden. Uh, you know, as plants and, and stuff embroidered in, and, uh, and it's images of Eden. And guess what? There's fire and an altar. Fire and death mark the presence. And God says to Moses that people can enter, but you need to take the blood of an animal and sacrifice it and pour out its blood and burn its body on the altar. And then with that blood... The people can come in, the high priest can come in. And Moses builds this tabernacle, and Exodus 40 describes what happened when God takes up residence. So it says, and Moses finished the work. He makes this tent in the desert where God could be met with. It says, then God, Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It's David's longing, isn't it? Would you come? Would you come? Would you come and fill this place? God didn't give us this place to sit in. He gave us this place to meet with him and encounter him. David wants to build a temple for God, but God says, no, I'm going to build a dwelling place for you. I'm going to build a dynasty for you, a house for you. But, but, but David's son does build a a temple, and he builds it on the same pattern as the tent, with a, a, a with like a garden imagery and 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 the same thing, an altar and and a, and a place behind a curtain that you can't go in, where where you can only enter at the cost of blood. But when when they've built it and God takes up residence again, I love this. It says all the Levites who were musicians stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen and playing cymbals. So they had some drums harps and lyres, guitars. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. The trumpeters and musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by the trumpets and cymbals and other instruments, the singers, there's a big choir as well, raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good. His love endures forever. That's obviously the latest chorus at that time that had been written by Matt Redman. He is good, he is good, his love endures forever. And it says, And then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, and the priests could not stand to perform their service because the cloud, for the glory of God, had filled the temple. Worship is good, isn't it? We need, you know, we, 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 I don't, we didn't do it on purpose. We got, we're super stripped down. And, and God has been stripping down our band. We used to have three bands. <laughs> Where's our musicians? You know, and, and if you're a musician, it's, it's a good thing. We want you to sing, play your trumpet. No, perhaps not. But you know, if you can play bass, you know, if you want to play drums, you know, we, we need musicians, but, but, but ultimately it's not about musicians. It's not about a performance. I've sent to Damaris, we love Coldplay. You know, there's that quasi-spiritual moment where you're in a Coldplay concert, and it feels like, oh, this is amazing. And we think, well, if we stack more musicians on here, that's what's going to make it good. And we do want musicians. And it's good to have musicians. But it feels right from the first song, not because there are a lot of musicians, but because God wants to do that. It's almost they start the first song, 
You know, and it's, he is good. He's good and his love endures forever. And the Spirit of God so tangibly present that the, the people couldn't stand up. It's a long meeting and Solomon prays a long prayer at the end. And then what happens is, it says, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, He's good. His love endures forever. Just imagine it. Just imagine it here. You know, we, we, we start the first song and, um, and, 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 and the people parking their cars who struggle to find a car parking place or kids have kicked off and got late to the meeting, they can't get in the meeting. The welcome team are like, well, they're on, they can't, I can't do the welcome. Hello. I don't know what's going on, but they, there's a sense, it says they couldn't stand to do their job. I know you suddenly freaked out. This seems awfully charismatic here. This could be quite dangerous. Are we, going, are we recommending everybody fall on the floor? No, I'm just reading the Bible to you. But what happens is the people come and it says, and then they kneel down on Hill Road and go, well, we can't get in because God's there, but we're singing, his love endures forever. And you think, oh, that doesn't happen now. It doesn't happen enough. I think, you know, I've, I've been working with some churches in Wales and it's great fun and my wife's Welsh and my father-in-law, by definition, is therefore Welsh. And I love stories of the Welsh revival. Let me just read you one to say it does happen. This is from 1904, a book called Great Revivals by Whitaker. It says, the presence of God was felt everywhere. There's something happened in 1904 in Wales. You can read about it in Ulster. 1859, I think it is. It's like in, in Ulster in 1859, the, the Spirit of God comes on a school playground and the boys' school are all worshipping God and the girls' then it's girls playground next door hear them and, and fall on their faces and say, God is here. And you go, oh, it's crazy. It's God TV stuff. No, Belfast, 1856. Wales, 1904, the presence of God was felt ev everywhere. The atmosphere was divinely charged. People seemed to be convicted of sin. Don't fall over in a meeting and say, well, that's it. If you get up and then go sin. People are convicted of sin. Become aware of the need of God. It says, in my stead, it's reported that two coal miners had just come off their shift. It was about 10.30 p.m. Intent on stopping at the local pub, they were suddenly aware of the presence of God right there on the street. They knelt down on the road and cried to God for mercy. When they got up, they ran, to the ch they ran inside the chapel. And there inside, 10.30 on a weekday, <laughs> people were praying. These men, openly with tears and not a little anxiety, asked, how can we be saved? You know, we do the 3 to one course, and I think I'm quite a good communicator. I, I will get this down, we will get a nice worship. Quite a good communicator, but you know the bottom line is? If God doesn't come, no one gets saved. They don't just say, that, yeah, that's a nice idea. People come and go and don't get saved. And I think, well, we've told them all the stuff. There's a sense where God needs to come and God needs to work. 
But the staggering thing about Solomon's day and the staggering thing about our day and Wales is that actually that, that, that God's presence is amongst us as a sense where we can encounter God but actually do what happens is the Israelites just take that for granted. They're not, they're not excited about it at all. Before they know it, they're off doing other things. They're off searching the gods of other nations for, for power and pleasure, sex and success. And then the book of Ezekiel, the unthinkable thing happens. God says, I'm gone. What Isaiah prophesied comes true. Your wrongdoings have separated you from God. And your sins have hidden your face from you. Yeah, the temple's still there, but it's an empty shell. It's a kind of living ruin. It's got all the traditions and forms of worship, but God is not there. God's presence has departed. And that's sad. But God is obviously not done, and we are getting through this story. So it says, there's a sense of longing still. God, would you do something? Would you keep your promise? The Old Testament finishes with this. Suddenly, the Lord who you were seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire. It's those words of longing will come, says the Lord Almighty. And then 500 years of longing, it's become a whisper. John writes, the word became flesh and made his dwelling or tabernacle amongst us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. We should be amazed that God's so desperate, so keen for us to encounter his presence that he comes and walks amongst us. A God who's, as we're reading in Mark, who's willing to heal the broken and reach out and touch the unclean and forgive the sinful and feed the hungry and raise the dead. But when, God, when Jesus comes to the temple, he says, this isn't it. He says, it's all going to be pulled down. This is redundant. A building without the presence of God is redundant. He says, John tells us, he's the temple. He's the true temple, the true dwelling place, the, two, the true tabernacle of God's presence. I wrote this, and I think I put it on the slides for you. As Jesus was crucified, he became our sin-bearer. In the darkness, because of our wrongdoing, not his, Jesus was separated from his Father's presence. On the cross, because of our sin, the Father hid his face from his beloved Son. As Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken him? The Father would not hear him. As Jesus died, his, his body was torn apart. His body was broken. And we do that and we break bread. We say his body was broken and his, his blood was shed. And the curtain of the temple that kept God in and kept us out was torn. Just as his body was torn, the curtain was torn. so that the Father could receive us, that we could be in his presence. My heart says of you, says David, seek his face. Your, Lord, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in righteous anger, for you have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Saviour. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Why can you enter? You can enter because there's a death being laid down. There's a life being 
poured out, there's, there's a sacrifice that's been made, there's a, there's a way that you can come in, you can come right in, you can, God says by the cross, come right in, there's no barriers now. And it also says, I'm coming out. We had time to develop it, but in Ezekiel it says, there's a, in Eden there was a river that used to flow out from, the, from, from Eden, and then in Ezekiel, and there's a, a river that flows out from the throne of God, and it starts ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, and then it's the swimming in it. And it says, everywhere it touched, life came. This is who we are, people. Forty days after Jesus' resurrection, the river began to flow. The cloud descended as it had done on temple and tabernacle, descended on an upper room. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be flames of fire that came to rest on all of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to praise God in other languages as God's Spirit enabled them. It says, it doesn't say, and I'm not having a go. Honestly, I love you guys, I'm not having a go. It doesn't say, and three or four of them were away for the weekend and missed the whole thing. Some of them decided to stay in bed and that was unfortunate. And there's a God poured out his spirit and some of them think, ah, I'm distracted, ah, I'm not interested. Some of them weren't spending their time on social media looking out how good leads are done. They weren't wasting their time with things that didn't really matter. It says they were all all in the one place. And God came by his spirit. And I don't mind how many of us are here. But I want him to be here. You want him to be here, don't you? You want him to be here by his spirit. And I'm not making this up. The church of God is now the new temple where God dwells by his spirit. Paul says this in Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that God tabernacles or God dwells amongst you by his spirit? Peter puts it like this, you like living stones, here's the temple language again, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable God through Christ our Lord. When you came to God first this morning, and I'm landing now, when, if you came to God first this morning, what did you expect? What did you expect? What did I expect? What was the one thing we expected? Perhaps you expected a friendly welcome. Perhaps you expected an exciting band of excellent musicians or a duo. Perhaps you expected a short, now, you wouldn't have done that if you know me, short talk. Perhaps you expected good coffee. Perhaps you expected someone who's going to look after your kids for now because you've had a tough week. I don't know what we come to church expecting. Mike Pulavacci, I don't often quote, but says this. I have visited some churches that have made their mouths water with their PA systems. That were a sound engineer's dream. If you are a sound engineer, we'd love you to dream with us. Lighting that would not be out of place at a rock concert. Soft, comfortable chairs. Coffee shops and slick presentations with doody shirts that even Dan Gatowski would be pleased with. And yet, to be honest, I felt disengaged and bored. 
Then I've been to church that could do with a coat of paint and a new carpet. Yet when the meeting has started, it's been impossible not to be gripped and recognize the tangible presence of God. When God shows up, people turn up every week full of expectation to encounter God, no matter how hard the seats are. You know, I can work on the coffee and I think we'll get a better venue and we'll work on some slides and make that better. And it all does matter. We want to serve you and we'll try and do the rotus in a less clunky way so you don't feel invaded. You know, like you don't feel like it's an imposition. But the bottom line is, will you join me with Charlie Cleverly and David and say, I want you. I want you. Phil, I'm in a shadowy wasteland, he says, you know, misty landscape. I'm half alive if God doesn't come. And I'm not saying God hasn't come. And he's never done anything here. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying there's more, eh? There's more. If you read David's Psalms, if you read Charlie Cleverley's weary, downcast starting, it's all about one thing. So, Psalm 20, 63, I finish with this. You, God says David, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole body longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the tabernacle and beheld your power and glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live in your name. I lift up my hands. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.